This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 593 of Horse Tip Daily. A different horse tip, a different equine topic, a different equestrian expert every day. Horse Tip Daily brings the world of equine knowledge to you one day at a time. Today's tip is brought to you by EquestrianCollections.com. Greetings, horse folks. Coach Jen here, and thanks for tuning in to Horse Tip Daily. Today's tip is from Dr. Narrator Richards, a keen horsewoman and passionate scientist. First, Dr. Richard parlayed this passion into a doctorate's degree in equine nutrition from the University of New England. Then, in 2003, she founded Equalize Horse Nutrition, which provides scientific and independent information to horsemen and horsewomen worldwide through its online software, FeedXL.com. Today's tip, laminitis, getting the basics right. But first, let's hear from our sponsor today, EquestrianCollections.com. Hi, everybody. Glenn here, and I am with Debbie from Equestrian Collections with the Equestrian Collections Product of the Week. And Debbie, today we're talking about a tie ring. Yes, I want to talk about the toe-clap blocker tie ring this week. This is a little gizmo. It's like in the form of a figure eight. The small ring at the top attaches to a snap that you can move around. You can move this anywhere. It can be a cross part of your cross ties. It can be on your trailer. It can be really anywhere. The bottom ring is larger, and it has a tongue that comes up the middle. What you do is you take your lead rope, and when you pull the tongue down, you lay the lead rope on top of the tongue and push it back up. There's a little magnet there that will attach it to the ring. So the, essentially what you have is a figure eight with a tongue up the middle and the lead rope that goes around the tongue. What this does is it allows the horse to pull back. He does not get loose. His halter does not break. But when he pulls back and rele- realizes that he is not um, tied up tight, they relax. It's perfect for teaching babies to stand uh, tied to a, a, a trailer. Um, it's great if you're on a trail ride and you're a little bit nervous. You put this on and if something spooks them, doesn't matter. They might pull back, but they will not get loose and they'll relax once they know that they're not tied. That's the Toklat Blocker Tie Ring. And uh, these segments are going to cost me money, Debbie, because now I have to buy a couple of these. <laughs> uh, and you can buy them at equestriancollections.com. Just search for Blocker Tie Ring and you'll bring them up. They're made of stainless steel, too, so good, sturdy stuff. Thanks, Glenn. Now, enjoy today's tip. Well, welcome back, Dr. Richards from FeedXL, our favorite doctor of equine nutrition. Um, what are you going to talk to us about today? We're going to talk about um, laminitis today, Ooh, which is pretty, hot topic. pretty topical. Yeah, it's, um, it's pretty topical, unfortunately, for us at the moment. But, um, and, and I imagine for you guys having the type of pasture that you have most of the year. Yes. So, yeah. It is. Now, this is a huge topic um, and, and it tends to get quite confusing for people because there is so much differing advice out there. So um, pretty much I just want to talk about um, getting the basics right for horses that are, that are laminitic and, and there's, there's three um, main points with getting the basics right. Um, that a low sugar forage should make up most of the diet. Never ever feed grain 
grain byproducts or molasses to these horses. Um, and the third thing is to make sure the diet is always balanced for vitamins and minerals um, because we tend to get a little bit carried away with restricting calorie intake for these guys to control body condition and, you know, control um, sugar intake and we forget about the rest of the diet and that's not great because they need to repair damage if they've had a bad bout of lemonitis. Well, that sounds so simple when you put it that way. <laughs> Yet folks with laminitic horses always look so worried. Well, I mean, there's probably there's probably a good reason for that. I mean, one, um, you can't tell what the sugar content of a forage is just by looking at it. Uh-huh. Um, so, so for someone who, you know, can't buy hay in large amounts, if they're constantly changing between forage sources, um, you know, you never really know what you're getting from one batch to the next. Um, and it's, it's not enough just to, to get a hay that looks like it's poor quality because even a hay that looks like it's poor quality can have quite high sugar and starch levels. That's, that's very closely related to the species of grass, is it not? Yes. It, yes, it is. I very recently learned that certain types of grass hays, different grass hays like timothy and orchard grass and brome grass and fescue are all very common grass hays in, in my part of North America. There's a, there's a wide variety of starch contents in those different species of grass. I was amazed. I always just figured it was about the same, but now that I had a fatty, I kind of had to look it up. Yeah. The other thing, too, is even within a species, so, um, you know, within Timothy, depending on what the conditions were at the time of harvesting and also, you know, for the couple of weeks leading up to harvest, that is going to influence how much sugar and starch is in that. Wow. Um, hey, so, so that's it, where I guess having access to um, a commercial hay reseller. Mm-hmm. I'm sure they have them in Australia too. Um, yep. There are a couple of companies that all they do is grow hay. Yep, that's their their complete business model, mm-hmm. um, and they package it all up neatly so that you can purchase it by the pallet, etc. But using a company like that, where they really do a lot of testing. Mm-hmm. You can get a much more accurate idea of what is in the hay versus buying it from a local farmer who may, who may create wonderful, good quality hay for your horse, but you really don't know until after you've been feeding it for 30 days and then your horse's feet start to heat up. Well, I mean, not necessarily. If you've got, if you've got I mean, yes, if you can buy hay that comes with an analysis and the analysis says, yes, this forage is less than 12%, preferably less, less than 10% non-structural carbohydrate, great, buy that hay. But if you've got someone local who grows good hay and you can buy it in, you know, decent quantities, ask that, that that you can, you know, go and take a sample of that hay and have it sent off to a lab like Equianalytical or Dairy One um, and have it tested for non-structural carbohydrate and say to the farmer, look, if it comes in under the level that I want, I'll buy it. If it doesn't, I can't buy it because it's not suitable for my horse. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw a challenge out to our Horse Tip Daily listeners. I want a Horse Tip Daily listener who buys hay from a farmer and actually had it tested to let me know. I don't know of a single person who has ever had their hay tested. Oh, That's a see, non-commercial I, farm. Like, they're giant commercial farms that own 1,500 broodmares. They do yep. it. Um, but I don't know of anyone who's actually had it tested. I know some people who work with farmers who do the testing. The farmer yep. does it. But I've never met a customer who does. Yeah. We've got um, quite a few of our FedExL members have, their, have hay tested. Um, and some of them I know have had it tested before they purchased the hay 
Interesting. Um, and then they send us those analyses, and they can use them in their their um, horses' diets. But yeah, so it, I mean, it does it does happen. Um, and and really for um, for really close management of laminated horses, it, it's the best way to go. Um, now, if if you can't have your hay tested and you can't buy hay that comes with a test, um, you can soak your hay, and that will remove some of the sugars. Um, really? So soaking oh, that's hay, kind of like rinsing your pasta. A, a little, a little. Except you can't. You can definitely can't wash all the starch out of pasta. But um, because some of the the sugars are water soluble, they will actually leach out of the hay. Huh. So, so you and then you take food. that water and you take it over to the skinny horse on the other side of the aisle and give it to him. <laughs> yeah, give it to the skinny horse. No, I sure. recommend tipping it on your garden. Um, but thirty minutes to an hour in in um in warm water if you can. If if warm water is not available, then just doing it in cold water is is um is fine as well. Um, and then rinse it and let it sort of drip dry for a little while, and then and then feed it. So that's a little bit of a, a stopgap if you if you don't know what the um, non-structural carbohydrate content of the hay you have is, then it's probably safest that you soak it. Hmm. Um, now, there, yeah. there is um, alfalfa, which we have talked about in a previous tip, um, nearly all, well, it does, it always has a low non-structural carbohydrate content. So, so it's a good one if, if sugars are your primary concern. Um, it's a good one for laminitic horses. Because you can have um, laminitic horses that aren't skinny, can't you? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yep. Okay. So, so alfalfa is great, um, particularly for laminated horses that, that need to put on a little bit of weight, um, or laminated horses that are in work and have quite high energy requirements because it's low in sugar and starch um, and quite high in energy. You do need to use it with caution with overweight laminated horses because it is so high in, in um, calories. Got it. Check mark. Okay. Um, now, if, you, if you're grazing, because, of course, grazing can still, for some horses, form um, part of their forage intake, um, the best time to graze them is in the wee hours of the morning, like as early as you can bear to get out of bed and put them out on pasture, um, but bring them in around mid-morning because as the day goes on and the plant starts photosynthesizing with the sunlight, um, it'll start producing more sugars and they build up um, so they're at the lowest level in the morning because the, the plant has burnt them overnight to um, stay alive because that's its source of calories um, and then they build up again during the day. So if you, hmm. if you are going to graze, only allow them to graze in the wee early hours of the morning. So get up at midnight, yes. get your horse out and bring him back in at dawn. 3 in the morning would be better. <laughs> okay, 3 3 a.m. to dawn. Okay, got it. I'm sure everyone would be happy to do check that. mark. <laughs> See, that's the thing. I mean, some of these things really aren't practical. Um, and you know, for someone who only can can only store four or five bales of hay at a time, it's not practical to go and have every lot of that hay tested. Right. Um, so that that that's why, I mean, you said it sounds simple, but that's why people with laminated horses are often looking worried because sometimes these things that we say to do just aren't practical. Um, <clears throat> now, the other, the other source of forage that um, gets forgotten a little bit or, or people are um, scared of using for horses for various reasons is haylage or silage. Um, Ooh. Oh yeah. my goodness! If you came to America and said and, and even mentioned giving silage to your horse, botulism. <gasps> oh <dear. laughs> but I mean, it, it's used you know all through Europe where um, they don't have good haymaking conditions. They tend to make a lot of haylage just because mm-hmm. it's practical for so them. So explain to those of us. The, my only experience with silage um, is 
in the dairy cattle industry and you don't go inside the silo when it's percolating because if you breathe in too deeply it will kill you so explain <laughs> yes. to folks what exactly haylage is okay so haylage i mean haylage is a little bit different to silage haylage tends to um so when you make haylage um it's the same process initially as making hay you go out and cut the plant but then with hay you leave it sit in the paddock or you bring it in and um, dry it until it's at roughly, you know, 85 to 90% dry matter. With haylage, you actually bale it up, um, package it up when it's around um, 45 to 50% dry matter. So it's actually, it's quite wet. Um, so it, And then you completely seal it in plastic. There is not allowed to be any oxygen into that packaging. Um, and within that packaging, the bacteria that are either naturally there or, or some people who make haylage professionally inoculate their haylage, the bacteria actually ferment the sugars and starches that are in the grasses and produce um, acids. So effectively, it's grass that gets pickled by bacteria. Pickled but- hay. Yeah, it is. I mean, and, really? and horses horses love the stuff. If they're used to it, I mean, it does smell a little bit funny. But a good a good haylage, um, and haylage is generally packaged in really small packages. So it's not your massive silos of silage like you see for uh-huh. dairy cattle or the big the big bales of silage that you'll see for cattle. Generally, haylage is, is made in much smaller packages and the packaging is, um, you know, a lot more attention is paid to make sure that there's no holes in the packaging or anything like that. But the reason it's good for laminitic horses is because of the fermentation process. So after the bacteria ferment all the sugars and starches, there is no sugar and starch left, which means it's a really low non-structural carbohydrate forage. So it's like it's like making whiskey for your horse. It, you put the bacteria in there, it sucks up all the sugar, <laughs> not, but it doesn't turn it into alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> That's fascinating. I have never, I must say, I have never come across haylage for horses here in America, another gauntlet for our Horse Tip Daily listeners. Does anybody here tell you know if you feed haylage to your horse? Let us know. I've never, I've never even heard of that one. That is fascinating. So you buy a little package, and you would have to use a little bit different weight ratio because it's such a high moisture. You know, ten pounds yes. of dry hay isn't the same as ten pounds of haylage. No, that's right. Um, and that's what you f- and you feed your horse because it, but it preserves the other nutrients within the hay. Yeah. Yep. Most of the other nutrients, um, surprisingly, are, are well preserved. It was just there was a study done here um, in Australia a couple of years ago, looking at the um, omega fatty acid content of haylage, and and even they're really well preserved. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, over it's going to be the same as any conserved forage. Over time, you're going to lose vitamin content, um, but certainly the minerals and the, and the protein are all in there, and and it's actually because of the fermentation process, it's actually more digestible and therefore higher in calories than hay. But again, you have to keep in mind that it's there's a lot of water in haylage, so weight for weight, mm-hmm. um, they're not comparable. But if you compare them on a dry matter basis, your haylage will generally be higher in calorie content than your standard hay. Fascinating. Haylage. Huh. Well, there you go. Now, the other reason um, people who own laminitic horses often look so worried is because there is a lot of feeds that claim to be suitable for laminitic horses that just aren't. So a lot of people go out and think they're doing the best thing for their horse and buy a feed that, you know, in Australia we've got feeds that claim in bold lettering no grain, contains no grain um, because, of course, you know, you can't feed grain to a laminitic horse. Um, 
and the feed will be made completely of um, what you guys call middlings, wheat mids. It doesn't contain whole grain, but it contains, <laughs> uh, it contains like a, yeah. grain byproduct. Yeah. So, you know, um, when you, you know, I mean, to, to someone who works as a horse nutritionist, it's, it's obvious you read the, the label and you think, well, it doesn't have any whole grain, but it's got, you know, grain byproduct. But for someone that doesn't read feed labels all day, um, it's not that obvious. And you do take notice of the no grain. Um, it's the big letters. Yeah. Yeah, the big letters yeah. say no grain, and then the little letters say. Now, wheat middlings are which part of the actual grain of wheat? Okay, um, I may not answer this properly. What we what we call them in Australia is wheat bran and wheat pollard, and okay. then we have we have mill mix or mill run, which is is those two things together. So when when wheat is milled to turn it into flour, the mm-hmm. bran and the pollard um, are the outside layers that that come off the wheat grain to get to the white starchy bit in the middle that they then make flour flour. from. So the wheat, the wheat mids um, is going to be those part of those outside layers of the wheat grain. Okay. So there's the outer, outermost layer, which goes in a bag that those of us in North America call um, bran, which people like to make into bran mash, separate tip. Yep. And then the mids, which is the next layer in. Is that's what we would call pollard. Yep. They're pollard. And then the, would you call it the germ, the middle part, uh, or is that the middle part after the after the starchy part? The end, well, the endosperm is the middle part. Okay. That's the white starchy bit, but that generally goes into human food. Okay. So it's it's, it's kind of a, an in between layer that really doesn't have a purpose in life. Therefore, they make it into horse feed because it's a cheap commodity. Well, <laughs> I mean, it, it's a nice ingredient, but for um, again, like alfalfa, it needs to be used in the right way. But um, for a lemonitic horse, it contains about twenty percent starch. Oh, so it's just. It's Doesn't just sound like a good the, idea at all. Complete no list um, should never be used in their diet because of start. Of course, starch is digested in the small intestine and turned into glucose, and then the glucose is absorbed and triggers the insulin response. And in these insulin-resistant horses, that's what then triggers their laminitis. And then you get more is, worry lines on your owner. Correct. So, so choosing um, the right feed um, and then is is really hard. And there's even um, in the UK, there's the Lemonitis Trust, and I don't know if you have any feeds in the US that are actually approved or certified by the Lemonitis Trust, but um, their guidelines. Yeah, their guidelines. Sorry, I think there's there's one here. There's one here that's um, marketed through veterinarians that I think might be, or they were working on getting it done there. They're they're real super duper science weenie guys, and they oh. really went crazy <laughs> making it just so so. So even the even the guidelines though for a feed to be approved by the Laminitis Trust, their guidelines still say I haven't checked in the last month, but their guidelines still say that the feed only has to be less than forty percent non structural carbohydrate. Now really? without a without a doubt a forty percent non structural carbohydrate feed is going to cause laminitis in a laminitis prone horse. So wow. even even they're not necessarily safe. Interesting. Yeah, I read somewhere on somebody's blog, the blog is, is through a, a veterinary clinic um, that specializes in laminitis, mm-hmm. and they were talking about keeping the non-structural carbohydrates um, below 20 over in the total diet, mm-hmm. and they said that, that you know that's our goal for our clients, is the total diet, when we put it all together and crunch all the numbers, it had to be 
below 20 and they said in really severe cases they were trying to keep it below 15 which i thought was mm. really interesting see I'd, I'd i'd be trying to keep everyone below 15 and if possible below 12 wow mm. everybody has to go over to feed excel and put all their diets in <laughs> or find yourself a, a, a doctor of equine nutrition take them to dinner and give them a couple of um, beverages of, a, of the adult variety and pick their brains <laughs> one of the two that's right See what we do. What we do in Feed Excel is go through all of the ingredients um, when we put a feed in the database, and if it contains any grains or grain probe products or molasses, we we give it a tick and say no, it contains grains. So then, if you say that your horse has got laminitis, any of those feeds that have got any of those grain or grain byproducts gets highlighted red. Ah, to say, so, you, so it's there. You see it, but you know that. Um, excuse me. Oh, very interesting. Hmm. Um, cool. But it is. I mean, it's not. It's not easy to pick a good feed for a laminated horse. And even some feeds like your really, really sensitive um, horses and particularly horses that have got Cushing's disease that then causes the laminitis, um, even feeds that are seemingly safe for laminated horses and do have really low sugar and starch levels can still trigger laminitis um, because they're sensitive to something else. I mean, it could be the potassium which um, initiates an insulin response. Um, in some cases, you can, um, people are pretty convinced that nitrates are causing laminitis. I mean, there, there's all these other things that, that could be in feeds for particularly sensitive horses that could trigger them as well. And this um, is why people with laminated horses have worry lines. The, um, the fever rings that laminated horses get on their hooves mm-hmm. match the worry lines that the humans yes, get on their right. foreheads. They go together. So on people, those worry lines on your forehead aren't really worry lines. Those are founder lines. <laughs> Coming off your horse's hooves. Yes. Well, once again, Dr. Richards, fascinating, interesting stuff um, about feeding horses with, that are laminitic and at all different levels and how to be really smart about it. Mm-hmm. Um, tell folks where they can go find out more really cool information um, from FeedXL. How do you do that? All right. So if you go to feedxl.com and we have a newsletter on there called Feeding the Laminated Course. So just look down the section that says other cool stuff and in there it's got newsletters. Um, And our newsletter number 12 is about feeding the laminated course. So it covers what we've just talked about plus a little bit of other stuff. Um, You can go and read about it there. And it's all written so that folks who do not have a PhD can understand Yes, and if you don't understand, email us and say, I don't understand, could you please explain this to me? And I can tell you from experience, the folks at FeedXL are extremely patient. (laughs) Thanks. (laughs) Thanks We try to (laughs) Thanks, Jennifer. Well, there you go. A very interesting conversation, as always, with Dr. Richards. To listen to all of Dr. Richards' tips, go to horsetipdaily.com and go to the experts drop-down menu on the left. You can also go to FeedXL.com's newsletter section for more fantastic, free, unbiased information about equine nutrition. Don't forget to support our sponsors here on Horse Tip Daily because they really do make these podcasts possible. Today's sponsor has been EquestrianCollections.com, where you can find the Toklat Tie Blocker Ring. Please stop by the Horse Tip Daily Facebook page and let us know what you think of the tips you hear on the show. It's also a great place to tell us about topics you'd like us to cover on the show. You can subscribe to all of the great shows on the Horse Radio Network through iTunes or Zune and get your horse podcasts automatically downloaded to your iPod, Zune, or MP3 player. I'll be back again tomorrow with another new expert and a different horse tip. Until then, 
go ride your horse. The Horse Radio Network and the Horse Radio Network hosts are not responsible for statements of guests or their opinions. Use your own judgment when listening to the tips provided by the experts on Horse Tip Daily.